0: So hot, baby! On to the next one. Right now, we just shocked the world. Every week uh, at home, we practice. Only having one timeout, a minute and a half left, having to drive down and score. So when we we had the chance. We knew this is what we practiced for, and, and we we actually executed really good. You know, one game doesn't doesn't make for a season, uh, but we've had two very very good wins, and of course this one, you know, arguably the best in the history of our program. So to to do it in the way we did it today. Uh, kind of shows uh, the capabilities of our team. So it was just a a great college football game today.
1: That was Adam Hurd sharing his thoughts as he echoes I think what a lot of people felt about Saturday as Buffalo State shocked the world with its 7-6 win against the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. He was followed by Casey Kaz, the uh, starting quarterback for the Bengals and then uh, new again, long time coach Jerry Boys. as we uh, get you here on the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 17th, 2012. I'm Pat Coleman.
0: And I'm Keith McMillan.
1: And this is where we uh, run down the week that was in Division three football. Talk about the week that will be, but the week that was, Keith, was uh, yet another fantastic week of Division three football. And, and of all the games that we uh, you know, kind of spotlighted that going into that week, going into this week that we knew were going to be pretty good, this wasn't necessarily on the list. And I know I went to this game with the express uh, purpose of Seeing Buffalo State play, because as as you know and as listeners to the podcast know, um, I've been kind of, uh, you know, boosting them in their corner all season, uh, dating back to, you know, sometime in August, if not near the end of last year. I wanted to see what they had in person against Whitewater, but I did not expect that this was going to be the result.
0: Yeah, Pat, you know, we both kind of pick our favorites as we pour over the numbers in the preseason. Buffalo State was yours. You know, I was hot on teams like Heidelberg. And Elmhurst and, and teams like that and, and then of course you have uh, you know week three of the D3 season and who would have thought that you have three you have number four in the country playing at number three Texas going to Delaware right Mary Hart and Baylor Wesley you have number five going down to play number 10 Linfield at Cal Lutheran and then you have one of the best rivalries in Division three the Tommy Johnny game with number six Saint Thomas in there against you know perennial power program that's you know fallen off a little bit in in recent years in St. Johns but one of the most known programs in division 3. So you have three huge games, plus you have all these sort of sub sub huge games in you know Heidelberg and ONU and um oh, there was a, there were a bunch more and we'll get to them as the uh as we get through the podcast if there's even any time. Who would have thought all that would be buried by Buffalo State beating beating Whitewater. And what's so amazing to us Pat is we sort of Poured through some numbers starting the podcast here. We couldn't find an occurrence of the number one team in Division Three losing in the regular season since the D3 poll started in in two two thousand three.
1: And you know, if you go back before then, I think if you were to retroactively rank, you know, the previous three seasons, I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. You know, nineteen ninety nine uh, and and on up to uh, the two thousand three season. Those were years that were dominated by. Um, you know, dominated by Mountain Union. They didn't lose in the regular season. Um, and I know because of the uh, the three longest streaks in Division Three football history, uh, I have been at the streak breaker for all three of those, and I've already gotten uh, two solicitations for me to be at specific games later in the season. So if you want me to be at, say, Heidelberg sometime in October, um, you know, see if you can make some arrangements. If you want me to be at the Monon Bell game, DePauw fans, uh, you know, let's talk because apparently, um, I have a, I have a way of being there, especially this season. It's just been kind of crazy. I, you know, sometimes just pick a random game off the map and a guy throws for 736 yards or, you know, take a, uh, a, a middle of the pack team at a power conference against the team that's won three consecutive national championships. And, and this is what happened.
0: Yeah, man, you got the jinx going on. I never seen anything like it. And, uh, you know, I, if I was a team, I wouldn't want you anywhere, anywhere near my field on that day, because who knows what would happen? You know, you, you might lose to a team that only has nine guys left to play or something. <laughs>
1: and this, and this doesn't even really—I uh, haven't really mentioned, of course, what happened in the second game I was at uh, on Saturday, in which uh, Benedictine came back and scored uh, twenty-five unanswered points in the third and fourth quarter to beat Albion. I, I think we'll probably spend as as much time as we can on that a little later, but I, I don't know how much you know, if we can get more than thirty seconds in on that, considering all the other great things that happened on Saturday.
0: Yeah, let's get back to the significance of the number one team in Division Three losing. Okay. It probably only D three diehards listen to the podcast, but if any week, you know, people from outside Division Three were gonna poke their ears in with us, this might be the week and and if it is, you know, let's let's try to describe how big a deal this is. Okay. This isn't like this isn't really like Alabama losing because Alabama might be the number 1 team in Division 1 2010 and 11 and 12 but but not for 7 years straight, okay? For the you know, you, we go from 2005 to now. You have Mountain Union, Whitewater, number 1 and number 2. There's never been a weekend when the number 1 team in the country has lost, and certainly not to a a up and coming middle of the pack non-conference team, you know, um, the, the, the big losses, Mount Union and Whitewater have lost in the regular season over this stretch, okay, the stretch of the seven stag bowls, but each time that they were ranked number two. Mount Union was ranked number two to Linfield in 2005, they lost to Ohio Northern, they fell uh, four spots in the poll in week seven, seven or eight of uh, 2005. In 2008, Whitewater lost to Wisconsin Stevens Point, they uh, also fell four spots in the poll and then uh, Whitewater has also lost. Uh, they lost a, to a D two team when they were um, they hadn't won a championship yet. They'd been to a couple of Stag Bowls, but they hadn't over overcome Mount Union yet. And so at that point, when they lost to Saint Cloud State, 26-16, real early in the season, they um, they weren't ranked number one at that point. So you 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 had Linfield on top of Mount Union. You have Whitewater was number two a couple times to Mount Union. You know even in 2008. After Whitewater had won the championship in 2007, came back in the next preseason, Mount Union brought back uh, you know some of their stars, but Whitewater had lost um, from that team, Justin Beaver, and uh, they'd lost the quarterback. And so they weren't ranked number one that preseason. So we've never, literally never seen the number one team upset in Division Three, And that's why it was such a momentous thing. For, for us on Saturday, and something that again unbelievably overshadowed a four versus three game and a five versus ten game, two top ten clashes that you would think be would, would get top billing on on a saturday uh you know got overshadowed by buffalo state and obviously
1: when we 're talking throughout this about uh, a number one team never having lost we 're obviously referring to the regular season uh it uh, obviously it's happened in the uh What's happened in the semifinals? It's happened in the championship. I guess it happened in the quarters uh, when we we're talking about Linfield in 2005, losing to Whitewater. But you know, not during the course of the regular season. You know, the, the regular season in Division III is just 10 games. Um, you know, you you don't have quite as much cross country travel uh, that you would obviously in uh, Division One or, or even in the FCS, uh, possibly even in Division Two, because some of those Division Two conferences are uh, are pretty widespread geographically. So you know, it just, as Keith said, it just doesn't happen. And we're going to talk about, and I will talk about, um, you know, the specifics of this particular game. Obviously, there were some things that we saw about Whitewater that uh, are are interesting and that we'll have to deal with. And we'll hear from uh, Lance Leipold, the uh, Whitewater head coach, uh, some of his reactions immediately after the game as well. But, you know, Keith... Um, we talked about the rankings so when when mount union lost in 05 they fell four spots by the way they came back to win the national championship uh whitewater fell four spots in 2008 and uh when they lost and they didn't uh, they didn't do so poorly the rest of the uh, the rest of the way either so for whitewater to lose three spots you know, people are are suggesting that that's uh that that's uncalled for but to be honest with you it's kind of uh, pretty much in line with what's happened in the past and until whitewater loses again you know, I think that, uh, I think we still have this all in front of us. I was not, um, I was not voting Whitewater number one. Um, I, and it, to be honest with you, even if Whitewater had won that game on, on Saturday, I was already kind of mentally contemplating flipping, uh, Mount Union and, and putting Mary Harden Baylor, not Mount Union, flipping Mary Harden Baylor into my number two spot and moving Whitewater down to number three because they just didn't look very good, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, you know, I think to be honest with you, even if Whitewater had had won that game, they might not be number one today.
0: You know, it's it's possible because one of the things that our that our poll has been known for over the years is to not just you know seed any spot to any particular team, not just give it to them because they had it the week previously. You know, when when you have un, undefeated teams vying, you know, for that that number one spot, we've always taken it upon ourselves to look at not just know where the team was ranked the previous week but to look at how they're how they're performing how injuries may affect their lineup you know what what they've done you know in recent weeks when you get late in the season you know you the the sometimes the the weight of those games is is a little heavier than you know games early in the season and so we've, we've always taken it upon ourselves to move teams around you know not just because you win you move up you lose you move down and we saw that really throughout the poll the the You know, some people were disappointed with the shakeup in the top six, but I think it's a very, it's still a very clear top six. And then there was movement in other places in the poll. You know, St. John Fisher, for example, a team that's won, um, they won the past two weeks, but they won kind of shaky ways. uh, Fell fell down a spot, and uh, Franklin, you know, lost two weeks ago, and then finally won this week, and they dropped five spots from twenty to twenty-five. And sometimes that's an indication of not really Franklin playing poorly, but other teams. In the poll, playing really well, and and you want to move them up and give them that respect that that they deserve. And of course, you know there was a little bit of craziness in the poll itself with uh, with Buff State moving in at, at two and one, and uh, and and then you kind of as a voter having to drag Brockport State, which is three and zero and an impressive three and zero, having to drag them in before you put Buffalo State in because Brockport State has beaten Buffalo State. And I think that is actually one pretty big key of of, of why. Um, you know, you can't drop Whitewater so far in the poll below. You know, you can't just automatically slot Buff State in ahead of where Whitewater is because Buff State already has a loss uh, in week two of the season to Brockport.
1: And Brockport State and Buff State in last week's poll, the previous week, week two, had combined for a grand total of three votes, three points. So, uh, Brockport State and, and Buff State each leap into the poll. Um, if you're a fan of a team that was just receiving a couple of votes or they were near the bottom of the poll, such as Franklin. You know, you gotta realize that Brockport State and Buff State took a lot of points away from uh from everybody, uh, to be honest with you. Everybody at least, you know, from about Baldwin Wallace down, uh, had to be affected by uh, you know, where these teams got their points from. So if you're like if you're Salve Regina, for example, going from four votes to three, that's why. If you're Franklin, you know, you, you look at why did I lose five spots in a week where we won the game, it's like, Well, you got passed by two teams that absolutely needed to pass you because they had far more impressive weeks than almost anybody else, uh, in division three. Uh, so that's two spots right there. And then, you know, the rest of it is, you know, maybe people think they didn't beat Manchester handily enough. Maybe there's just enough shakeup down there. You know, again, uh, Thomas Moore hasn't looked great. Um, you know, they, they lost, they didn't, uh, they didn't keep pace. They lost the two spots that Brockport and Buff State passed them on. You mentioned St. John Fisher, uh, St. John Fisher and Cal Lutheran swap spots. I guess uh, St. John Fisher has, uh, is three and zero, but has uh you know has had to battle to win each of those three games and Cal Lutheran, uh, and Linfield, you know, they were uh you know they were obviously fairly close coming into the week as Linfield was five and Cal Lutheran was ten and you know they're they were five spots apart before they're six spots apart now and that still seems pretty reasonable because it was a, a close battle down to the end again.
0: Yeah, so- and we have another one of those glass ceiling situations developing in, in Division three. Every few years there comes a you know a team that just can't get past this one other team and for whatever reason Cal Lutheran uh, and, and Linfield is that team. Now Cal Lutheran's beaten Linfield before. They they won uh, early in the regular season a couple years ago 47-42 which was kind of a shock at the time, but then they they had a rematch in the playoffs that season and and uh, and lost to Linfield and since then they've played you know in the pl- in they played the beginning of last regular season, they played in the playoffs last season which was a three-point game and then this game Cal Lutheran led twice in the fourth quarter. Uh, gave up a Linfield touchdown drive, gave up a field goal to Linfield to tie it, and then gave up the game-winning uh, field goal to Linfield uh, in the final minute of that game. And and I think that's probably, you know, a, as a voter, you know, it reflects what it tells you is Cal Lutheran and Linfield are pretty even, but it also reflects positively on Linfield in the sense that they can go on the road, and, and that's, that's not a road trip like from McMinnville to Salem Oregon that's a that's a serious you know get on a plane road trip which is rare in division 3 so uh, so when you you see a team that can get on the road go on the road fly down to you know maybe not a super hostile environment but certainly a different different type of place to play uh, a, a Cal Lutheran campus that knows this is the best team we're going to see all season so they they come out for that game and then you know, for them to to pull it out in the fourth quarter after trailing twice reflected really well on Linfield, and I think that's part of the reason why they moved up in the in the top 25 shakeup and and jumped ahead of uh, of Whitewater.
1: Yeah, in a lot of senses, uh, I think a lot of things times a lot of uh, times the way things happen with the poll it is it's a it's a matter of if it ain't broke don't fix it, and in this case. You know, it's the same thing as last week with uh, Wesley and Salisbury, and Salisbury doesn't fall, falls from six to seven, basically, after losing to Wesley. All that game did was reaffirm what the poll was already voting for. Same here. Uh, Linfield, you know, ranked five spots ahead, goes on the road, and wins a close game. I think that validates the previous uh, result that was already there in the top 25. When I was putting my top 25 ballot together uh, on Sunday morning, Keith, uh, the thing that, uh, there was another ceiling, and the ceiling was, or in this case, a floor. I didn't feel I could push Whitewater down, downward past St. Thomas, or push St. Thomas upward above Whitewater, because you know we've we've played so few games this season. To be honest with you, um, I still got to look at uh, look at you know some of th- of what happened last year, um, and Whitewater and St. Thomas each lost uh, similar pieces from a team. Uh, from a, a from each of their teams in a matchup where you know Whitewater was was really dominant, especially defensively against St. Thomas, and you know Whitewater didn't didn't really miss a beat defensively uh, so far this uh, this season. They've only given up seven points in the uh, total in the first two games. Uh, I just didn't think that there was any way I could really justify mm. in my head that St. Thomas was better than Whitewater, despite and, and that even throwing out the fact that I've seen both teams play this year because uh, I didn't think that. You could learn a lot from seeing St. Thomas against River Falls. I was curious, however as to your thoughts about that.
0: Well, I ended up, I kind of started where you were as I thought about this. I, I had Whitewater um, going down to four, maybe to five. I, I figured, you know, you, you had to move Mary Harden Baylor up. Into the two spot for, for winning at Wesley, yep. that's, a, that's a huge road win over the number three team in the country. Mary Harden Baylor was four anyway, so they, so you move them up there. Linfield, you they won on the road at number ten. I thought they deserved to move up, and then you have this group: Whitewater, Wesley, Saint Thomas. Now both of those teams, both of those programs, have played Whitewater in the playoffs in recent seasons, and so you have sort of a baseline to work with as far as the strength of the programs. But the the difficult part is how much do you weigh the the overall strength of the program, the history of it, you know, the, the the subjectiveness of your vote with what we know about the teams this particular season, just these past three games, and and what we know, Pat, what you learned on Saturday by by being at Whitewater is that, you know, the Warhawks are, are struggling a little bit on offense, still trying to get a, a quarterback. Uh, into the flow of the season. Lee Brekke. Uh, you know, Desmond Ward now is, is taking the majority of the carries and, and you know, they, Tyler Huber is, is their star receiver. You know, he was in and out of the game, I believe on Saturday, right?
1: Yeah. And he is out of the game for quite a while, I think, from the looks of it, uh, but we'll uh, get back to that. You go on.
0: So yeah, so they're, they're, they're a struggle a little bit on offense, but they're still a dominant defense and they're, they're, they're still a program. I think that's Earn the respect o- over time, I-, I love to you know when I, when I do the vote, I-, I usually go by what do we know? What have we seen happen this year? But I, I felt like this was one of those occasions where you-, you, ha- <clears throat> you just can't project something like this to happen again. You wouldn't expect whitewater to lose again. That's not to say that that Platville, Oshkosh, Lacrosse, somebody like that won't beat them later in the season, but I think for right now, you have to consider it a, a fluke, and so there's a, very- there's a very good argument to be made for doing what you did, which is, is to keep, you know, to say, I don't think St. Thomas is at Whitewater's level because St. Thomas lost about what Whitewater lost. Um, there's an argument, same, same thing for Wesley. You know, Wesley has played Whitewater several times. They've never shown themselves to, to, to be better than Whitewater. So why would we assume without having a head-to-head result um, that, that they are? In, in the end, what I chose to do was sort of Take a leap of faith and, and push Whitewater down to six, and and give Wesley and St. Thomas credit for for winning this season. Obviously, Wesley hasn't beaten uh, Wesley lost on Saturday, but they have a win over number eight now Salisbury. Um, so you know Wesley playing this schedule where they're they're playing Salisbury, playing Mary harden Baylor. They'll have games against Birmingham Southern and Louisiana College and Huntingdon coming up later in the season. So they'll get a pretty um we we'll get a pretty good idea what kind of Wesley team we're dealing with. But I gave them a little bit of credit. So I, as is podcast tradition, long answer to a, to a short question, uh, Whitewater moved down to six on my ballot. But I think that's a, a place where this is all fluid. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change from week to week because now we're looking at Mount Union is number one. And even really in the case, even you may have to include Mount Union, all these teams have to impress now. There's, there's no more... There's no more okay. Automatically, these guys are number one. You know, I really every week there was it was getting to a point where I was saying, okay, I know Whitewater's one, I know Mount Union's two, I know Wesley's three for for my first couple ballots. And now I'm really gonna have to examine the top six every week. You know, and and I don't think uh, Wabash, and I don't, um, you know, maybe Sal- Salisbury plays enough people to get in there to that group, but I don't think Wabash plays plays enough tough team tough teams to get to be able to move up in that group. But you look at the the top six, maybe top seven, and say every week, what have they done? Do they belong here? And, and th- those guys are gonna move around a little bit over the course of the season. And that's important for people to remember that there's no walnut and bronze trophy handed out for being ranked number one or number two or number three in week three of the season in the middle of September. You don't win any trophies. You don't win any conference titles. Nobody's gonna look back at, at the week three poll. Uh, Except for us, some future year, nobody's gonna look back at, at right now and say this is, you know this is a, this was an important point in time. It, it was an important week to to start the movement, but it's just the beginning of of the story of the 2012 season. And so it's important to remember that we don't we only know what we know now. And these are just all pieces of data that are all gonna come together for us as the games come to you know as the games happen over the next several weeks.
1: Keith mentioned uh, Lee Brey not necessarily being in the flow of the offense so far for wisconsin whitewater uh, Lance Leipold, the whitewater head coach, talked about that after the game you know we've been fortunate to have a lot of good players in this program the last few years, and sometimes it's you know everyone thinks because Lee started some games way you know over two years ago it's going to just magically step in and it 's all going to keep moving again and 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 you know as as you can see i I don't know how they lost last week. You know, there, there's, you know, that's uh, my respect goes to that conference and and out there a, a lot because there's some good athletes, here and good quarterback play. So, um, you know, I, I, again, we've got to take a look at what we're doing, how much we have in all, all those things. It, it, it's a good time for self evaluation before I make a full thing on on where where Lee's at, but. When you don't score any touchdowns as an offense, as a group or as a football team, you have to take ownership of that, that you're not, you're not where you need to be as an offense. So here's the thing about Lee Brecky for those of you who, uh, who who didn't see the game or, or, or or whatever. 14 to 22 passing. He threw a pair of interceptions. One of them was a, a Hail Mary pass at the end of the game. Um, you know, 14 to 22 for 188 yards they were pretty short passes they didn't really take any big uh big strikes downfield um and it just didn't seem like I don't know if they didn't have confidence in him or if they really thought that you know for example Chris Hall who picked off two passes for Buff State uh including the uh including the Hail Mary and has picked off six passes if they thought he was enough of a deterrent that they didn't want to risk a strike downfield but even as you know the game was was getting down to it, and they had just a three-point lead, which they did for about 40 minutes of the game, 50 minutes of the game almost. Um, you know they didn't, they never, they never cut the offense loose. It seemed, uh, but I just find it interesting. I find it interesting what he said, what he said about Brecky Keith, because uh, you know if you go back to what he did in those five games in the playoffs in 2010, you know obviously. Lavelle Coppage is the reason why the offense was successful in 2010. And Brecky was, was good for stepping in, uh, you know, in week 12 and and, and, and taking stuff over. But he wasn't a, a great quarterback, and he hasn't been a great quarterback either of the first two weeks of the season for Whitewater.
0: Pat, uh, Coach Leipold actually made, a, made a, several good points in, in that clip that you played. But let's talk about Lee Brecky. You're right. Um, it's not even... Necessarily to to the detriment of Lee Brecky, you know, it's not an insult to him as a player. But when he came in, in in those five playoff games when they needed him, you know, they didn't they didn't put it on his back to win the game. And Whitewater doesn't often put it on the quarterback's back to win the game. You know, the motto's pound the rock. the The way they do it is they have five great linemen. They run inside zone, outside zone, stretch. They have a great running back and they feed a guy the ball, you know, sometimes 30 times a game in the playoffs. You know, you got Wisconsin weather. You know, team has to come up to Perkins Stadium in the playoffs and play in the snow, and and that's the way. And and then they play great defense. They cause turnovers. That's the way they beat you. They don't necessarily beat you with a a great quarterback. And some of the things they did the past two years with Matt Blanchard, you know, because he was a a skilled passer and someone who could – who could throw on the move, buy himself some time with his feet, and had a good command of the game. Then they started going upfield a little bit, but they were still always this running team. And so the Whitewater identity has been kind of what you described, Pat. They, they don't cut the offense loose. And it looked like for most of Saturday, and this is maybe where we, we've gotten away from we're looking at the big picture, Pat, and that's our job as in the podcast. But we've gotten away from what actually happened in the game. And what happened was Whitewater led that game 3-0 for most of the game. It, had a, it made it a 6-0 game later in the fourth. And then Buff State drove the field uh, and scored a touchdown with 10 seconds left to win 7-6. The, the game itself kind of fit the mold of, of a Whitewater game in a lot of ways because they have these games where they start slow, they don't have a lot of points, but they, they they just expect it, you know, at some point they wear the other team down and then all of a sudden that 3-0 game is 10-0, 17-0, 20, you know, and 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 the zero stays on the board because they play great defense and they finally start scoring in the fourth quarter because they've worn the other team down. And Pat, you were there. You give me your opinion on this. How Buff State never wore down.
1: No, they didn't wear down. and the uh the offensive line did not have any kind of push on them whatsoever you know uh whitewater average under three yards a carry and that doesn't happen I don't, I'm not sure that even necessarily happens uh in the stag bowl I think my stag bowl box score is far too buried on my desk to pull that up right now but to be honest with you I can't remember a, a, a stag bowl where they where they rush so poorly um yeah you know, and, and Desmond Ward looks you know he, he's a big guy uh, he's capable of breaking a tackle here and there, but he's not really getting to the second level and certainly not into the secondary very often. You know, he had 23 carries for 66 yards. He lost he lost 13 yards. He had 79 gain, 13 loss. It just doesn't happen uh, very often to, to Whitewater in general. Uh, Buffalo State's defensive penetration was just fantastic. They had 10 tackles for loss during the game, and, um, you know, it was, it was surprising to see, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I asked the people in the whitewater press box just to kind of validate my memory. It's like how many starting offensive linemen did uh did whitewater lose you know and the answer was just two uh i'm I'm not sure that you know i i I didn't go back and independently verify but uh that was uh that was the number I was given they just they really uh they really struggled to move the ball in the running game and they didn't uh and they didn't take shots downfield in the passing game and uh, we mentioned. Uh, Tyler Huber earlier. He did finish the game with five catches for 84 yards. Well, actually, he finished the game uh, by basically being carried off the field. He couldn't put any weight on his uh, left leg, which is where he was injured earlier in the season. So uh, that might be another another big loss for them. Uh, Steve Morris was the second leading receiver. He had just 27 yards receiving on four catches after going, I think, seven for 102 with a touchdown in the opener against Wash U. So, I mean, Whitewater's going to you know it may continue to struggle here, and I don't know quite if, for example, Ryan Givens, who's kind of the change of pace back, is the answer. He had 71 yards on 14 carries, so 34 of those were in one uh, were on one carry, and the rest of them were, you know, not too much more uh, successful than than Desmond Ward's was. And then uh, the pressure really got to Lee Brecky. For somehow, Buff State wasn't credited with a single sack on the game, but uh, Brecky was. Uh, you know, credited with five runs for negative 19 yards.
0: Well, here are here are a couple points that stand out. As far as Whitewater going forward, as a, as a Warhawks fan, they still played great defense. You know, Buff State was off the board for 59 minutes and change. They didn't. It wasn't like they came into the park and dominated. You know, they came in and went toe to toe, and Whitewater's offense was shaky. And, you know, Buff State played as well on defense as Whitewater did. But each team, independently going forward, Buff State now has this, this, um. you know, weird kind of resume where they they beat Cortland State 49-31. They scored, they put up 700 yards and gave up, you know, three four 400, 500 yards. And then they gave up 38 points to Brockport State. And then they went out to Whitewater and, and played this inspired game, clearly their best defensive game of the season. And, you know, part of that also has to be on Whitewater. And, and that offense being shaky, but as Whitewater goes forward, when they have to start worrying about Platteville, Oshkosh, and, uh, and the rest of the teams in the YAC, Lacrosse, and those guys, is they still have that defense. The defense seems to be intact. So uh, in that case, they, they at least have a have a fighting chance to you know and and there's reason for you to for for a voter to believe that whitewater may belong still in the top five even though they're shaky on offense but here's the key takeaway point I want to get from from what coach Leipold said and uh you know it's been now 10 minutes probably since we played the clip so exactly how he how he worded it is is shaky to me but he kind of touched on something that reminded me of what was said at the stag bowl banquet last year and uh, both teams, you know, came up to the podium and they the night before the, the championship game, they um you know they they the two teams are in the uh, the Salem Civic Center and they're having this this dinner and they get a chance to speak to each other and speak from the heart and speak to their team. And and one of the things that came up is it being the seventh consecutive stag bowl for both of these teams. Did they, you know, could they fathom it? Did they ever appreciate it? And the thing that is consistent between Mountain Union and Whitewater All over the seven years, the longer that streak would get, they always say, you know, we don't really, we don't really know how it got that way. You know, we don't, we don't appreciate it. We can't fathom it. Right now we don't grasp it. And that's what they were, what what Coach Karras and and both teams were saying on the, on the podium last year is, you know, sometime in the future, we will grasp how amazing this, this um, streak of of being a seven consecutive stag bowls is. But right now, all we can focus on is trying to win tomorrow. And Saturday, that future started to arrive, because once you see a Whitewater team lose, like a normal team does, have its ups and downs over the course of a season, we start to appreciate. And maybe if Mount Union loses later in the season too, it'll really, not only will it jumble Division Three up, but you'll, if it happens, it will help us start to appreciate how amazing the past seven seasons were for both of these programs. You know, to to play week in and week out and to never have an off week whitewater 46 wins in a row i mean i i can't even take 46 steps in a row without tripping over my feet hardly you know it's it's really an amazing thing and i think once whitewater loses a game you get that perspective of just how consistent they were over the past three seasons and this season's gonna be a little different they're not that team anymore
1: Odds of Mount Union losing this year, by the way, not looking very good after uh, they defeated Muskingum by the score of 57 to nothing, and they've so they've rolled up 102 points on uh, uh, 7 allowed on defense in the first two weeks. There is so much more we could say about the Buff State-Whitewater game. Um, I encourage you to go to our uh, game story page. We've got uh, highlight videos you can see, for example, the hook and double lateral pass that uh, got them out of a 4th and 19 situation. Got them a fresh set of downs on that final drive. Uh, game-winning touchdown <clears throat> is there. There's two different clips on that. Um, actually, there's a third if you go down through the D3 reports. Whitewater's D3 report has a an has a end zone angle on that. Uh, and then there's uh, three post-game interviews. Uh, we played uh, clips of Casey Kaz and uh, Jerry Boys earlier. And then Pasquale Vacchio, the uh, leading tackler, the linebacker for, uh, uh, for um, Buff State, is in there as well. So... Um, You can get much more about that game. Uh, We're already uh, more than a half hour into this podcast, and uh, I suspect that we're not even quite halfway. So we are going to move on, uh, as they would say, we're going to move ahead to further action. Uh, And that was, for example, how about that number three versus number four game we've already been talking about? And let's, uh, before we get into it, let's hear what uh, Daryl Bailey, the winning quarterback for Mary Harden Baylor, had to say, Uh, thanks to... Jason Bowen and Sean Green of WDEL.
0: It's all about coming out and having fun. You know, those, those games last year just, it hurt bad. You know, we thought about it all offseason this summer. Just working hard as a team, to, you know, to come out here and just beat these guys. And I think we did pretty good today. I'm excited.
1: Well, Daryl Bailey has, has really grown. This is his senior year at quarterback, Keith. And, uh, you know, obviously, Mary Harden-Baylor has been uh, very consistent f- through its first two games this season.
0: Yeah, and, and consistent in not just being the team that we expect them to be from reputation, which is one of the best rushing teams in the country, which they're that, but they, they've have talked for years about adding this passing dimension and they'll occasionally have a great, you know, red zone wide receiver. But they, they really with Ladaro Bailey now have been able to, to throw the ball consistently over the of the game and when you know they have 27 25 pass attempts in a game now which you know for a lot of teams in this age of the spread offense isn't a lot but mary uh, hard and baylor that's 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 a big difference and it makes their offense di- diverse enough i think that it that it even makes their run game more effective you know they, they've played great defense and I, and I i made this comment in the triple take on friday our predictions file you know that this is a game that's going to be decided along the lines and in a lot of ways, it was. Mary Hart and Baylor rushed for 182 yards. Wesley, negative four yards rushing. And if you can't get the running game going, no matter how good your quarterback is, you know you're playing with fire. And uh, Wesley certainly was doing that. He fell behind in the first half, and and fell further behind in the uh, in the third quarter. And were able, they were able to Wesley was able to get the game to make it a seven point game in the fourth quarter. And they had a chance, and they had possessions. But when, when you can't run and you're trailing from behind and all of a sudden, you know, you're throwing every play, it, it, it helps the defensive line, you know, get off the, their, their, their rush easier because they know what they're doing and they don't have to respect the run. And it, and it helps the defensive backs because they know a pass is coming every time and, and, and you know, you can start calling coverages, l- allow you to, you know, fall back a little bit. And so, you know, that's a big factor. They're not able to establish the run early, fall behind a little bit. And uh, Wesley – other thing falling behind is is that crowd you know in in dover it's it's not a um they don't wesley doesn't draw huge crowds and it's not a huge packed in stadium, but they get loud and you they got a cowbell they have you know people screaming and it can kind of you know the thing about d three stadiums is is the crowd can kind of be on top of you. In some of the ways, especially for the stadiums that don't have the you know the track in between them or something like that, and and, and even though it can be you know two thousand, three thousand fans, you have people lined up along the fences, and you got people cowbells and 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 you're yelling, and it's right on top of you. It actually can can jar you a little bit. And Mary harden Baylor taking the lead, controlling the clock in that game, you know, thirty five minute time of possession, almost uh, I think maybe took Wesley's crowd out of it a little bit, and so you, you have several factors. That, uh, that that didn't play in Wesley's favor, and uh, it's part of the reason why uh, they weren't able to win.
1: Mary Harden-Baylor had lost to Wesley in the national quarterfinals each of the past two seasons. This really puts, you know, obviously with, you know, uh, I'm gonna, of course, eight games left to be played, and uh, we're going to project a lot of things over the course of the next eight weeks, and we realize every time there are games left to be played. So if we don't say it every time, just understand. We know that Mary Harden-Baylor has has some tough games ahead. Shoot, uh, we didn't know Sol Ross State might be a tough game, but maybe it will be when they go to Alpine in two weeks. Um, but, you know, they're in a position now where they're in position, if they went out, to host all the way through the national semifinals even, potentially.
0: Yeah, and and that ends up being a big deal in this series because so many seasons now, you know, these two teams have played in uh Six of the past seven seasons, I believe it was. Wesley had a 4-2 edge coming in, so now it's 4-3 in that series. And um, I guess they've played seven of the past eight seasons. Whatever. Uh, you know, so many times that game has been the, in the playoffs in the South region. It's been for supremacy. And this early in the season for Mary Hart and Baylor to, to earn that win. Of course, they're, right, like you said, Pat, they're not in yet. But... Um, that's a, that can be a big deal later on down down the line if they manage to survive and face each other in the playoffs later on. I thought Ladero Bailey touched on something else pretty important in that in that short clip that he played for us. It, it, you know, they Mary harden Baylor went to Delaware and had fun. And they, they could have approached that game, I think, in one of two ways. They could have put a lot of pressure on themselves, thinking this is a four-versus-three game. This is our, our chance in the national spotlight because you know nobody, again, knew that Buff State was going to steal the spotlight. So this was the huge game coming into Saturday. Um, but Mary Harden-Baylor also knew that, really, it, it's it's not going to affect their playoff chances because they either win the American Southwest or they don't to get in. And, and Wesley's sort of in the same boat. Wesley needs to win every game, but their strength of schedule is going to be so strong by the schedule that they've lined up that they can kind of afford to lose one. And I know you don't, you never go in thinking that, but you think we, we don't have anything to lose today. All we have is, is something to gain. We prove to ourselves how good we are, how good we can be. And uh, if you go in with that attitude and then you, you back it up, you play well, you know, it, it can really get the ball rolling on your season. And I think for Mary Harden-Baylor coming off a big win against Kane and then going to Wesley and winning, you know, and then they have Trinity you know which was ranked before Saturday and, and then American Southwest you know slate starts that's a real nice schedule for them and and the better they do against it and the you know the more fun they have the better that attitude gets so uh, it sounds like they brought the right attitude to Delaware and they got the right result
1: Linfield and Cal Lutheran we've uh, kind of only briefly touched on this earlier and we've been through kind of the history of this uh budding west coast rivalry uh Linfield wins this one with a, a Josh K 39-yard field goal with 5 seconds left to go in the game and uh you know keith it's it's another uh, it's another game that sets the the pecking order on the west coast but also you know now obviously with whitewater losing it it puts linfield in a position to possibly grab that top seed depending on what happens uh, with them the rest of the season and also with uh, perhaps a team such as st thomas
0: yeah it, it makes division three sort of more normal more yeah. like more like every, every other division where it's all up in the air and what, whatever happens over the course of the season defines where you end up in the playoffs, where for for, for Division three for so many years, there's been these predefined roles, and no matter what obstacles come along, Whitewater and Mountain Union would always seem to end up at the top two spots. you know there, there's been years when you know St Thomas had, had a higher seed you know they would have hosted mountain union in the playoffs but they lost before mountain union ever had to travel so mountain union played all home games in the playoffs there's been years when they've sent whitewater on the road and whitewater just goes on the road and wins you know so this year things you know the way this saturday uh felt shook out it certainly changes it gives the opportunity to change for everybody to change the narrative and and it you know, it's a very big deal that Lin the way Linfield pulled that game out because, you know, six minutes left in that game, Cal Lutheran goes up 30 to 27. And, and and if they pull this game out, that's a, that's a very different narrative. And so, you know, Linfield puts together an eight play 51 yard drive, kicks a field goal to tie it and, and is able to get the ball back and then put together another drive to kick that winning field goal again on the road, again, against the best team they're going to play before the playoffs. That, that's a big deal for Linfield. Uh, I did get a chance to listen to a lot of this broadcast and it was funny because that game was in about the second quarter when uh when the buff state whitewater thing happened and, and twitter is completely blowing up at this point between the d3 people everybody's going whitewater really lost this is unbelievable you know mountain union doesn't play till later in the night and and the, you know the wesley mary hard and baylor game was real early so number one has already lost number three is lost and and linfield and cal lutheran are playing and they're just oblivious to it they got <laughs> they got their own issues going on you know uh out there and so they 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 it was a it was a back and forth game and and some of the things that stood out uh, 15 penalties for 142 yards for Linfield 17 for 143 for Cal Lutheran they're going to have to clean that up if you know they they hope to not stumble over the course of the season you can't have games with 17 penalties and and expect to win and, and still Cal Lutheran had a shot at winning that game so that that shows how strong they they were uh Linfield wasn't you know excellent in all phases of the game they passed uh for 298 yards but uh 3 of 14 on third downs which which is really uh rough for them um you know both teams were able to run the ball a little bit but but Cal Lutheran, just 3 yards a carry so that that's uh you know I know that's not their their bread and butter their best offensive player right now is a wide receiver in, in Eric Rodgers but they they they've you know got to have that offensive balance if they are uh, going to be successful over the course of the season they don't want to throw the ball 55 times and then uh, and then run it 37 times and and only gain three yards per carry you know it just makes you want to throw the ball more if you can't get anything going in the run game so both of those teams have some flaws but they also brought out each other's flaws because that's the best team they're each going to play all season
1: you know Keith we talked in kickoff about uh teams that are balanced on offense and you know how how they've been the more successful teams in the playoffs over the last couple of years you mentioned it you know about Linfield um you know obviously when Linfield won the national championship they had you know one of the best quarterbacks in division three history um and it's been a hard it's been hard for anybody else to kind of live up to that after that but at least they've been able to you know you mentioned obviously the the yards per carry isn't great but um you know they've also had Uh, A pretty big revolving door at running back for a while. So Josh Hill at uh, 6.1 yards a carry, 134 yards on the ground on Saturday. That's a that's a really big kind of unsung piece for them.
0: And infield, when they've been able to run the ball, they've tough to stop offensively. I mean, Uh, they've they've had quarterbacks, you know, since uh, Brett Elliott. Aaron Aaron Bain was pretty good, and uh, Mickey Inns has been has been. It was a standout for them. You know, he threw for two hundred and ninety eight yards on Saturday again against one of the, you know, best teams they're gonna play all season. And uh when they're diverse offensively, you know, Linfield's also a four two five defense, It's so like give teams a different look that they don't that they're not used to. And uh they they're when when they're scoring, when they're rolling points up boy, they're they're tough to beat. And they they've uh I, I think they're shaping up for what could be an interesting Northwest Conference race now because what we've seen Willamette do in the first couple of weeks, and uh, and then uh, Pacific Lutheran picked up a big big win on Saturday too, so that could get interesting out west. You know, uh, it, it's going to be. Maybe not just one of those years where it's just Linfield and just Cal Lutheran, but I, I still think those are probably the two best teams uh, that, that each, each will see all season. And, and one other thing I should point out from the box score, uh, Eric Rodgers, who we mentioned 10 catches on Saturday for 142 yards, didn't get in the end zone, but it, this guy's dominant. And if Cal Lutheran gets in a playoff game with somebody that hadn't seen him play before and they don't, they don't double cover him, he's going to be trouble.
1: Yeah, we may not get a chance to talk too much about Willamette, but obviously Willamette with a, uh, an exciting win on Friday night against East Texas Baptists. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you're right. We could we could end up seeing more than one playoff representative from the, the Northwest Conference. Obviously, that is one thing where there's a really a long way to go, uh, because, you know, the the at-large bids, the, the pool C bids in the playoffs, the ones that go to runners up in conferences where there's already an automatic bid. Uh you, know, you gotta be you pretty much have to be somebody who has just one loss because the track record on two lost teams getting in is pretty short even if one of them was last year. Um moving on to the to the Johnny Tommy game, Keith, uh the uh it seemed like the uh the turning point was the kind of the last five minutes of the second quarter.
0: Yeah, I was a fifteen fourteen football game and uh it, it sounded like it was it was a back and forth game. And and the Johnnies were really going to get you know give St. Thomas a, a chance. And from a national perspective, we're looking at this game as the the really the best test so far for St. Thomas, who had to come back to beat Eau Claire, and uh, and then the you know the Johnnies turned around and and, and played Eau Claire and, and beat them as well. So you know the you're thinking maybe these two teams are equal again. The Johnnies stung from the 63-7 uh, beatdown last year. This is their rival. They're playing at home. And uh, you know, off year is rare for them. So at that point in the game it's it's you know, fifteen, fourteen, and uh you think it's gonna be maybe you know, kind of a knockdown, drag out type of game. And then St. Thomas' is able to to put a touchdown on the board right before the half and they just came out and blew the doors off in the third quarter.
1: You go back to uh the the uh, um a false start on fourth down, uh it uh late in the second quarter followed by a shanked punt that goes just 17 yards. So St. Thomas has decent field position. They start at their own 28 with 210 to go, and they, uh, and, they, and they drive it into the end zone, and they go up instead of going into the locker room up one, they go into the locker room up eight. And that's already after making kind of a gutsy call to uh, fake an extra point and uh, go for a two-point conversion to go up 15-14 earlier.
0: Yeah, and 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 at you know, at that point it seemed like that could end up being a, a, a key game. You know, they again scored and, uh, and and ran ran it in for a two point conversion. But then third quarter, it, it was um, St. Thomas got a turnover, a two play drive, touchdown, uh, 29-14. then they then they put together a legitimate, you know, eight play fifty two yard touchdown drive. You go up thirty six fourteen and and it, uh, it it started getting sort of ugly from there. St. Thomas, you know, doesn't have the, the the offensive skill guys that they've had over the past couple of seasons. Fritz Waldvogel, Colin Tobin, Dakota Tracy; those guys had been, um, you know, by the time they graduated last season, they were stalwarts. They were, you know, kind of giving them a three-headed attack on on offense. It, it's such a different look this year for for St. Thomas uh, offensively. You know, the names are different, but you you see, you know. Uh, Ryan Tony, 18 carries. Matt O'Connell, he's a quarterback. He kept the ball twelve times. What you see, you know, uh, Brenton Braddock, five carries, another player, six carries. So you, you get so many their their offensive identity is a little different. And I think part of that, you know, maybe is is the result of being able to recruit on the backs of all those good seasons. Um, you know, with Wal Vogel and Tracy and and Tony Dana and, and those guys. And, and you know you you have a couple winning seasons, so you bring in all this talent and and you finally train it up, and then and then you throw those guys out there, and uh, we're we're getting to know the the new Saint Thomas, and uh, it turns out they're uh, not that bad. Yeah, uh,
1: they focused on Logan Marks. He's kind of a big tight end guy for them. Six uh, six catches for seventy yards. The um, you know they don't have a a new Waldvogel in the in the fold right now, but they have a bunch of guys who are kind of interchangeable. You know, guys who would be. You know, it would be pretty good receivers on a lot of teams, but if, on an elite Division III football team, there's a lot of number two receiver types. Uh, Dan Ferrazzo, Dan Nering, uh, Jack Gilliland, these are guys who all you know, looked good in the game. I saw them against River Falls, uh, which doesn't necessarily indicate maybe the rest of Division III football as a whole. But, you know, they had situations in the previous couple of years where it was Waldvogel, and then after that, yeah, it was kind of sketchy as if there was anybody else who would be a reliable receiver. Um, with uh, with Logan Marks getting more looks this week at tight end than he maybe did the previous week, that might shift uh, signal a shift for them. But I also, uh, you know, Matt O'Connell, who had thrown, I think, 50 times the week before, got a little more, uh, looked a little more what I expected in terms of numbers. 16 of 31, so the completion percentage wasn't great. And he did throw three picks. Uh, but he ran 12 times for 56 yards, um, and he was certainly uh, capable of pulling down and running it. Uh, I saw it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, you know, we've spent a lot of time, Uh, but, you know, they played a spring game up in Canada again this year, so they had a full uh, pad-on-pad spring game uh, in which I saw Matt O'Connell play some quarterback, and he looked, you know, similar in the Dakota Tracy mold with, maybe uh, a, a guy who might develop into a better thrower and isn't maybe quite as electric a runner with the ball. But uh, O'Connell is a, is a multi-talented quarterback for them anyway.
0: Hey, yeah, and you notice that too, that, that, that you know, the leading carrier, or second leading ball carrier is, is the quarterback. and uh, So maybe it's a, it's a similar St. Thomas offense, Pat. You, you kind of have the monopoly on getting to watch St. Thomas because you live in Minnesota. Yeah, man. I think I'll see them again. Yeah, I I'll, I'll see all that I'll try to, you know, see as many Eastern teams as I can. You know, the NJAC is getting really interesting all of a sudden, so um I I'll, I'll check them out. Pat, we want we wanted to talk on the podcast about teams who who seized the day and teams who didn't seize the day. You know, Buffalo State, clearly the 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 first one in in the group who, you know, had this opportunity and uh so you know, so many teams have it, you know. You 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 play when you play the number one or the number two or you know whatever the top team in your conference is, when you play that team every week, you know you know top teams always say we prepare to get uh, other team's best game every week. Well, every week that that underdog comes in and says this is our chance if we put our put together a good game, you know it could really happen for us. And all of us, you know, Buffalo State did it, and now they're this week they're the darlings of D three. There were some other teams who had an opportunity to impress and uh, and seized that opportunity, and then there were some who, you know, we were watching. One of the categories in Triple Take is uh, who's on our radar. Some were on the radar and, uh, and and fell flat on Friday or Saturday. You know, the the one I think that stands out to me when we go beyond those uh, those big clashes that we mentioned. Now, you know, the the top 25 games and the Tommy Johnny game I think was was the Sol Ross State uh, 62-35 win over Trinity.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. What a game! <clears throat> Sorry, what a game that ended up being. Uh- you know when i i think when i picked it to be surprisingly close in triple take cuz i expected it to be surprisingly close and surprisingly it wasn't close it was a 27 point win for Sol Ross state trinity hasn't given up that many points i i think it was something like 50 years it was a uh, it was a surprise in that sense um you know I, having looked at what A.J. Springer had done at quarterback uh, for them the previous two games after transferring in from Division II Lincoln, that's the one in Missouri, not the Division II Lincoln in Pennsylvania, um, you know, I thought they had a shot and they played <clears throat> well uh, offensively, especially against Eastern New Mexico and Western New Mexico, two Division II teams uh, in the first two weeks. So I was kind of eager to see how that might translate against a Division III team. And I also thought that uh, Trinity, having floated up to eleven, had floated really, really high in our poll uh based on you know what they'd actually accomplished last year and what they'd accomplished so far this year so um I thought that was a game that that might be that might be ripe for an upset, but certainly I don't think anybody pictured a twenty seven point win
0: no and, and you know it was a battle coming in of, of two quarterbacks that we wanted to keep an eye on around the region had had featured Nick mckissick from Trinity last week, and uh a j Springer had put up some gaudy numbers. You know, the, the first two weeks and uh, he put up some more gaudy numbers on Saturday, 481 passing yards, six touchdowns. And, and the, you know, the thing about Sol Ross is that um, when you you have a straight quarterback, you know, a great quarterback can't do it alone. You have to have some guys uh, on the receiving end of those passes. You have to have a running game. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, Sol Ross has that. Uh, Cordrick Mobley, seven catches uh 448 yards and two touchdowns a 64-yard touchdown on Saturday uh Dominic Carson uh 19 carries for 128 yards and a 54-yard run and then he also had uh five catches for 119 yards 73-yard touchdown catch two touchdown catches and uh another receiver had a 49-yard touchdown catch and uh, another one or a 49-yard catch another one had a 25-yard catch 14-yard catch so uh Springer is eaten up these yards in in chunks and uh I just wasn't able to uh to, to, to keep up and and that's it, it, almost heresy you know I mean it, trinity law for so many years was known for that defense and then to to see sixty two get hung on them was really eye opening
1: also seizing the day how about the entire northern athletics conference pretty much they went five and two against the mi double-a in uh in the the uh in the NAfCon mi challenge including the the nightcap the uh uh the one in which Benedictine came back to win against Albion. Um, you know, for notes um, in, in terms of that game, you you may recognize uh, Spencer Kraus. He's the starting quarterback for Albion. He, uh, you know, was successful the week before against Whedon. He got knocked out in the third quarter of that game. Uh, it literally actually uh, left the game in an ambulance um, be, after after getting hit by uh, Ben Lockton of one of our Preseason All-Americans at defensive end for uh, for Benedictine, and after that they really didn't do very much on offense. Uh, and, and Benedictine came back and they took advantage of two safeties and took the uh, the kick the the free kick kickoff back for a touchdown to to eventually win the game. But the, for the for the MIAA, uh, you know, which had set up a, a challenge series, I thought they could be pretty successful in. Um, that has to be really disappointing, and then they they play one more year of this, and then they have two years of a challenge with the CCIW, in which, you know, if they struggle with the NAFCON, they're going to get creamed by the CCIW.
0: Yeah, and and you know we don't want to jump too far ahead, but oh no, yeah.
1: let's jump to 2016. We're all over that. <laughs>
0: You're right, Pat. I mean, you said if you can't if you if you can't beat the NAFCON, how you expect to beat one of the better conferences in Division Three you know, for the NAFCON? This was one of those weekends where the conference had a chance to earn respect and and they seized the day. Uh, maybe no, no one more so than, uh, than, than Concordia, uh, on the site, you may see him referred to as Concordia, Chicago, uh, 63, 47 against hope. That was a, you know, 35, 28 game halftime was a shootout and they just kept on uh, putting the points on the board. Jake Kaler, the quarterback, 386 yards, five touchdowns. And, uh, that, that was a kickoff's pick, I believe, to to win the NAfCon. But you know, based on where we see the two conferences, you, I didn't see certainly um, you know Saturday's results. I didn't see Concordia, Wisconsin, or River River, um, Falls you may call it. Um, river Forest, Forest. I knew I was going to say that wrong. Uh, pick <laughs> River. Thirteen ten um, over Trine. I think that was a little surprising, and really the only. The, the the big win for the MIAA is maybe the team that's the favorite in, in that conference now was um, Adrian beating Wisconsin Lutheran 31 23 and Wisconsin Lutheran was one of the teams who I had sort of uh, started to load up the bandwagon for so uh, the MIAA did score one win but you know Rockford beating Olivet um, that, that, Rockford and trying one on Saturday and there those are two things that got buried because of because of the way Saturday. Uh, went, but uh, you know, snapping a long losing streak, uh, it, it was a big weekend for for that conference. Rockford
1: snaps a 23-game losing streak. Teal snaps a 24-game losing streak. Those are teams that obviously seize their opportunities on Saturday. A um, couple of big games uh, and big results in the Ohio Athletic Conference as well. And I'm I'm not talking about the 57 nothing uh, pounding that that Mount Union put on Muskingum. I'm talking about. Uh, a great game played under the lights in uh... in Cleveland, and then the Heidelberg game in the afternoon as well.
0: Yeah, and if you were a kickoff subscriber, you you saw it written about uh... Heidelberg lost. Germany was he transferred uh, late in the summer from uh, from Heidelberg to Mountain Union. He was the All American uh, running back, and normally you see a team lose its All American, you think, man, that's going to be trouble. They're going to have a rough year. And uh, you know, someone, one of the coaches from the, within the conference had had mentioned this, and, and it, it made it in the kickoff that you know, Cartel Brooks, uh, another running back for Heidelberg, may be just as good a, as Woods was. And uh, on Saturday, boy, he proved it. You know, 24 carries, 184 yards, a uh, two touchdowns, a 51-yard run uh, mixed in with those, and um, really no contest in this game. Heidelberg 43-7 against Ohio Northern. And uh, Ohio Northern now kind of you know kind of on shaky ground. Remember they lost to uh, to North Carolina Wesleyan in, in week one, and, and I think we can sort of we could take ONU now they're they they're O and two out of the mix for that number two team in, in the OAC. We always you know sort of safely assume that Mount Union is number one. Heidelberg, uh, you know, maybe the team that gives Mount Union a challenge, or maybe Baldwin Wallace, which picked up a win against uh, John Carroll.
1: Yeah, and a nice and, and come from behind fashion as well. Um, uh, a guy named Brendan Gulick has a D3 report on that game. You can find the D3 reports at the bottom of the page. Uh, there's also a uh, uh, a handful of other D3 reports, actually one which came in while we are in the middle of recording this podcast. So um, there uh, sometimes are late editions and a, a bunch of good games uh, to, to kind of review. And if you are at a game, of course, during the course of a, of a weekend, feel free to do the same thing. Watch the, uh, you know, Watch the models that are being provided for you this week. Uh, if you have a video camera, that's cool. If you have an iPhone, that works just fine as well. Watch the wind and keep your uh, keep your frame horizontal because that's the way televisions are. You know, you don't watch your television up and down in portrait mode. Landscape, please. Um, Hobart. How about Hobart beating Utica? Uh, that was a a game where I think we thought that you know Utica with its uh, you know with its senior four year starter at quarterback might be able to make some noise and, and, and knock Hobart off.
0: Yeah, I mean, the noise he made was, was getting sacked 10 times. It was, it was yeah. ouch. But, but, you know, in all honesty, Hobart had been putting up ridiculous numbers defensively. I think had only given up, you know, 200 and some odd yards coming into the game. Uh, and then Utica, on the other hand, you know, who's been sort of a program on the rise for, for maybe a season and a half now um, in, the, uh, in the Empire 8, they put up 45 and 40 their first two games, so you're thinking something's got to give in this game. Utica's going to put up some points, but Hobart uh, was impressive defensively. You know, not only the 10 sacks, but but Utica never got any semblance of a running game going. And even though they're not uh, that much of a running team, I actually saw them play last season against Frostburg State. A- any team, even when they, when you like to throw the ball, you, you want to have some balance, keep the defense honest, and and you know when you can't do that that's that the type of thing that leads to 10 sack games because the defense line can uh, can get off and, and hobart's defensive line from 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 what i've been told up there is just quick to the ball um quick off the ball and swarming defense and that's going to be one to watch now when, when we start thinking again i'm projecting but you're thinking eastern you know teams that could be trouble in the playoffs hobart remember almost beat Wesley in the first round of the playoffs last year, and then uh, is off to a, a really great start, dominating uh, their, their first uh, three games now.
1: Andrew the uh the four-year starter. I mentioned a quarterback for Utica, 28-45 of 45 passing for 313, three touchdowns. Keith mentioned the sacks. Hobart uh, offensively, Bobby Doherty, the running back, 20 carries for 174 and three touchdowns there as well. Junior Woodard, six catches for 161. That's a name that we have said more than once over the course of the past couple years here on the podcast. Keith, you mentioned uh, seeing Utica beat Frostburg last year. Uh, A a great game that really gets buried uh, by all the other things that happened this week was uh, Frostburg coming back uh, in the final minute to defeat Case Western Reserve 17-16.
0: And, you know, that that happened times Pat, when you have especially a weekend like this with all, with all the big games that happen and then the upsets too that the uh that the great games get buried there there was another great finish that we should mention uh Augsburg and Gustavus too you know Gustavus scores uh in the final minute and then Augsburg comes back and scores on the last play uh yeah Frost uh <laughs> Chucky ch- I don't know yeah Chucky Chucky Ewe um sure uh capped the drive of the catching a 6 yard pass from Ken Emmons who's a, a new quarterback for for Frostburg this season uh 10 play 81 yard drive in the in the final uh 5 minutes of that game uh, it was a, about took about 4 minutes Frostburg scored with 43 seconds left to beat um to beat Case Western Reserve 17-16 and uh, I think what's what's pretty neat about that is sort of a random pairing right a UAA team from Cleveland and a Empire 8 team from Maryland you know, we got got open date. Hey, we got an open date. All right, let, let's play. And uh, Frostburg and Case, good good test because uh, Case Western Reserve is, is um, they don't they don't get a chance to you know play a lot of teams from leagues like the the conferences like the I eight. I think the same you know same deal. There there so many of their games are against uh, same type of teams that it was kind of neat to see the, these two teams get together.
1: Case losing makes me think about the pool B picture. It makes me think about uh, you know, some of the things that are that we've already talked about, but also the center W and L game. And is that a matter of W and L seizing the day or center, you know, being the opposite direction, I guess?
0: I think it was a W and L deal because uh because of the way it happened. Uh Washington Lee uh scored three touchdowns in a row in that in that game and it was it was a good game at at one point, uh fourteen ten. And at the end of the first quarter, and then boom, you know, three, three, uh, I guess it didn't happen, you know, quickly, but over the course of the game, WNL sort of broke, you know, turned from a 14-10 game to a 34-10 game. And, uh, remember WNL is, is coached now by Scott Abel. So many years, Frank Mirriello was the coach. Uh, Abel was, was the guy who turned WNL from sort of a stoic old school offense to this running the pistol and all these, you know, crazy option plays uh, to just, you know, suddenly they're, they're, they're a contender to win the ODAC every season. And, uh, you know, center playoff team last season and and had been high-powered on offense. I, I think maybe, you know, the WNL defense just as impressive. And uh, that's one of those games that t- kind of throws everything in the whack, too, because remember in week one, WNL went up to Franklin Marshall, lost 35-28, and, and now you have center, which we thought was a um, contender in the SAA. And, and you know, this is... When we start breaking this stuff down, Pat, and see how all intertwined it is from the non-conference play, it uh, it, it really gets twisted. But I, I think that was definitely a, a matter of W and L uh, season the day and season its opportunity to to beat a team like Center.
1: And it does seem like there's even more interesting non-conference play than usual this year. It's been a it's been a really fun year to watch so far, and we're just three weeks in. Um, Courage Bowl, University of Rochester, uh, bowing out after this year, and they almost, uh, you know, took the spoils of the rivalry home with them.
0: Pat, you referenced it too. You know, you look at a game like like that game, the twenty to sixteen final on Saturday. Rochester had a chance to win that game, and you say, why do you want out of this series? Because you know, first of all, you, you, there's no game that Rochester is going to play that's going to get them as much po- positive publicity as Courage Bowl um, nationally. You know, f- with us and also within, within the areas that they recruit. You know, I, I know Rochester is sort of um, an elite institution and, and their recruiting net is cast a little wider than just upstate New York, but at the same time, this is good pub for, for, for them in upstate New York. Um, you know, the case maybe has been made that they're not competitive with, with a team like St. John Fisher, which has the advantage of, you know, a facility that was built to host the the Buffalo Bills training camp, and then they recruit with that in, in mind. And it's it's you know they've played Mount Union, they've played in the playoffs, and St. John Fisher is supposed to be you know, so much better than them. But you look at a game like Saturday. I, I went to the Courage Bowl maybe three years ago now, and that was a thirty-five thirty-three game. So I, I know there was a fifty-two-three result in there, but I don't think uh, Rochester can't compete with St. John Fisher. And I I almost think, you know, it, 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 you don't ever want to schedule a game. That's not a good game for your program that you know you're gonna lose or for whatever reason. But this is a good game for for uh, Rochester's program. You know, just just the Courage Bowl itself. The way it benefits Camp Good Days, which is benefits young kids uh, with cancer, and they bring them in um, during the week and let them be honorary coaches, and they bring them out on the field during the game and after the game. And if it's something that, if you you know, it may sound a little, you know, maybe from afar contrived, maybe. But when you really go see it, and you see how much the kids get into, the the players in the program get inspired by the the kids, by the honorary coaches, because those those kids are fighting something you know way greater than than any any of the players, you know, in in terms of winning a game. And it's really life changing experience for the Saint John Fisher and Rochester players. I, I didn't mean to get on a whole soapbox with this, but I, I think, you know, it, it's odd that Rochester once out of the series and, uh, and, you know, had a chance, of course, in the fourth quarter, uh, to win that game trail in 20 to 14, um, weird sequence, right? Where St. John Fisher blocks a uh, Rochester field goal attempt, returns at 72 yards for a touchdown. That's how St. John Fisher went ahead. That was a 14, 14 game. Rochester was getting ready to take the lead. So Fisher goes up with this uh, block. And then when, um, Fisher went to kick the PAT. Rochester blocks it, takes it back 98 yards for the two-point conversion. So uh, weird sequence, great finish, great game. Rochester uh, got another possession after that and and had a chance to win. And and all in all, probably one of the great games in the Courage Bowl rivalry, which right now is in hiatus.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be uh, Buffalo State taking Rochester's spot in the uh, Courage Bowl for the near future. That's what what I had that's what i'd heard so we'll see uh we'll see how that plays out and that's a nice opportunity for for buff state too to get a little more uh a little more pub and and for those and for the kids there as well um we are i was we're already over uh by almost 10 minutes so i just want to talk about one more game and that's the rowan william patterson game from friday night
0: yeah well that's a uh opportunity of a team that uh or a, an occurrence of of a team that had a chance to seize the opportunity. You know, William Patterson started to get a little buzz uh, in, in kickoff. And we thought, you know, with with things going turvy right off the bat in the NJAC, Cortland State losing a bus State, Montclair State, you know, falling in, in their early games, and Kane uh, losing their first two games that there's, there's an opening now in the NJAC. Who's going to seize it? You know, and, and then Rowan had the big upset in week one, but then went to Merrimack and lost. and So could, could they be weakened? Um, and it's a you know, Friday night game William Patterson under the lights And it was just all rowing 51-0 The profs um, looking dangerous this year With with uh, Louis Bianchini at quarterback um, That's one of those games where You get a chance to define your program And Buff State Goes out to, to Wisconsin Whitewater And defines their program Gets a win that gets everybody talking about Buff State William Patterson goes to Rowan under the lights on Friday night, gets blown out 51 0, and you define your program. And, and what's happened is we just go back to thinking two teams that were NJAC also ran. So, you know, Buff State's now in the Empire Eight, but they're kind of middle of the pack, solid teams, but, you know, not the worst teams, but not never going to challenge for the conference championship. Now you got Buff State in the top 25, and William Patterson just off the radar.
1: Looking ahead to what is coming up next week as we uh, move on to week four in the Division 3 football season. We've got Wisconsin Whitewater trying to get back on track at home. They host uh University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Uh we mentioned Louisiana College uh, as a destination for Wesley. That's coming up this week as uh as the uh Wolverines get on the plane and head on down there. Uh Mary Hardin-Baylor faces Trinity Texas. You know, I I saw this game uh, you know, flit past me as we were talking about Mary Harden Baylor and about Trinity earlier. Obviously the uh shine is off that game a little bit. Um but uh you know if, if Trinity had trouble against Solros State they're really gonna have trouble against Mary Harden Baylor.
0: Yeah, I I think that's true. You know, there there someone had speculated that maybe Mary Harden Baylor comes comes in you know, thinking they're uh, they hot stuff and 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 lays down the, you know, lays the egg against Trinity. I don't see it happening um, because you know the the way Mary harden Baylor won that Wesley game, they were tested. They they didn't just blow Wesley out of the water. And so you know they, they'll get the nose back to the grindstone. And, and to be honest, Trinity probably will too. But if you gave up 62 to, to Sol Ross State, you you're going to give up some points, I think, to Mary harden Baylor. And so we'll we'll keep an eye on that game, see what it looks like. Um, some other games jumping off off the list, Pat. Uh, Huntington at Hampton, Sydney. You know, speaking of points being put up, these two teams known for offense. Um, another great, great, you know, Southern matchup. You know, Virginia is is South as far as D three is concerned. Shoot, Pennsylvania is South sometimes as far as D three is concerned. Uh, Brockport State at Kane. There's one we didn't circle at the beginning of the season, but that's a that's a big game now. And Endicott uh, at Salve Regina uh, in, in the NFC You know, um, Bridgewater State still undefeated. And now you, you got these couple of teams in, uh, in the Nessie, could be trouble. Lycoming at Albright is another one. And uh, Nescak gets underway.
1: You've got, uh, that's true. So we've got those 10 teams uh, joining us for their eight game schedule. For those who don't know, the Nescak plays only conference games. They play only eight of their nine opponents in games, the other they usually play in a scrimmage. They do not accept. Bids to the NCA playoffs, and therefore we do, uh, you know, we don't award them any because that would be silly. Um, Wisconsin Platteville hosts Wisconsin Eau Claire. This is one of those non-conference games in the WIAC, mandated by the conference office in order to give everybody an, a, an extra opponent. Um, Eau Claire, you yeah, know, is coming off of two losses to St. Thomas and St. John's, and they they go on to face a, a number 16 ranked uh, Platteville team. They could be a really good team and yet be 0 and 3.
0: Well, that's kind of what we, I think at one point, Pat, we were kind of joking around when we were doing the kickoff about Buff State, thinking that they had this schedule where they were going to, they may be better than last year and start out one and four. And so we learned this Saturday, you know, we already knew it, but, um, you know, Buff State plays Cortland State, Brockwood State, Whitewater, Alfred Salisbury, their first five games. Um, you know, we are like, we already knew that you can't assume anything and, uh, we were reminded again on Saturday and, and we may be reminded again this Saturday coming up. And that's sort of the fun of the game.
1: Uh, Thomas Moore at Waynesburg. It's a game that's going to be key in the uh, president's athletic conference. Uh, Shenandoah gets its uh, gets into its uh, the heart of its ODAC schedule. They uh, take the short trip down the road to play Bridgewater. DePauw Carnegie Mellon. We are, a uh, we're an hour 15 in, but Keith DePauw firing its coach on Sunday.
0: Yeah. And in, in, and... That's a program that went from really being really well respected being on the rise being a kind of perennial playoff team or or at least a perennial contender in the s c a c you know now to just in disarray so you know um changing coaches every year and and we kinda we liked robbie long you know he, he's a guy who'd given us some time uh been willing to talk to us uh whenever we called over there um and uh Seem to be bringing DePauw some stability after changing coaches. For, you know, for so many years, Nick Morozis was the coach, and then they changed back and forth, back and forth. and Now, you know, I just don't know what to make of that program. They're not even you know, competitive anymore either, so it's, uh, that's bad news over there.
1: Yeah, see the front page story on D3Football.com for a, a bigger breakdown of the revolving door that DePauw has been through over the uh, last, wow, that's nine years now. In, uh, uh, in, their, in their coaching changes since Nick Moroz has retired. So for the Around the Nation podcast, checking in at a cool one hour, 17 minutes. I'm Pat Coleman. He's Keith McMillan. Keep back with us the rest of the week. Uh, you can see the D3 reports and team highlight packages at the bottom of this page if you're looking at us on the blog you uh, find it on the front page later in the afternoon on Monday. Tuesday, we'll have the D3Football.com Play of the Week. Don't forget to send your nominations. Even though we've had some great plays this week, uh, I haven't seen anything that uh, you know jumps out at me that says we absolutely have to have this one. So send yours in, please, by 5 o'clock uh, Eastern time on Monday. So we'll name that Tuesday morning. We'll have Around the Region columns on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Keith's Around the Nation column coming up later in the week.